God is good. All the time. It is awesome to be with you this morning. My name is Carmen, and I'm your pastor of Congregational Care, and I want to welcome everybody this morning. If you're joining us online, welcome. We're glad you're with us. So long before they were having daddy-daughter dates, is that what they call them now, I think? Um, We didn't know that that was a thing. Back then it wasn't a thing, but my dad and I love to spend time together. I'm a daddy's girl. Uh, I love my mom dearly, but I I am a daddy's girl. I think most girls are. But uh, the thing that we like to do together was to fish together. And so... Um, we would go fishing. I had pretty good grades in school, and so he would take me out on an occasional Friday, and we would head for the lake, for Carlisle Lake, actually. Um, I uh, would take a book with me. We would get there prior to the sun coming up. Mom would have a picnic lunch packed for us and uh, some drinks, and we would be on the lake as the sun was rising. And we so enjoyed that time. As I said, I would generally take a book because when the fish aren't biting, you take a book to cover your eyes so that you can get your nap in, right? <laughs> Daddy taught me how to uh, put the, the bait on my hook, so I learned how to put the minnows and the yucky worms on their hook. Not necessarily that I wanted to do that, but because dad asked and he said he was going to teach me, I did it. Um, and so I would throw it in and lean back in the boat and put my book over my eyes and I would just be falling off to sleep and he'd sis, hey sis, sis you got a bite. And I would come up and rise up and of course nothing was on my line Um, but (laughs) uh, anyway we had some great times I to this day I share a lot with um, my dad I've always been very open with mom and dad we have an open relationship and so um, I think those times just secured that even more there were occasion that we would catch fish and um, I remember one time we got out on the bank and he actually fried the fish for us. So made a fire and um, so that was fun. But we didn't always go home with fish. Sometimes we went home with empty buckets in our hands. And so, but the main point was not about the fish. It was about the time, the quality time that I got to spend with my dad. We are in uh, the book of Jonah today, and um, the story of Jonah is one that ten, people tend to miss the point on. There's probably no other story in the Bible that is more ridiculed than this particular story. And so many focus on the whale or the big fish, and they miss the real story. There's only actually, uh, three Uh, short verses that are dedicated to the big fish. They're real stories about Jonah, a real person like you and me, a real person like you and me that was disobedient and rebellious and received a second chance from God. It's about a wicked city that was disobedient 
and rebellious and evil and received a second chance from God. It's about God and about a man that God used to bring a great revival to a wicked city. The fish, it was just a small piece of the puzzle. I love what British evangelist, preacher, and leading Bible scholar G. Campbell Morgan said. He said, men have been looking so long at the great fish, they have failed to see the great God. Our story starts in Jonah chapter 1. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked the people are. Now we don't find out a lot about the city of Nineveh in the book of Jonah. Jonah is a very short book. But if you go to the book of Nahum, you can um, get more information. It says that Nineveh was guilty of plotting against God. There was exploitation of the helpless, idolatry, prostitution, and even witchcraft. So God told Jonah to go to Nineveh, which was about 500 miles northeast of Israel. He was to tell them to repent and receive God's mercy and forgiveness. But what did Jonah do? Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving. He bought a ticket and he got on, got on board, hoping to escape the Lord by calling, going to Tarshish. God said, go. Jonah said, no, I ain't doing it. Boat number two for 300, please, Alex. And Jonah runs the other way. 2,500 miles the other way and in the wrong direction. God asked him to go to Nineveh, 500 miles northeast, and he ends up in Tarshish. wonder how many of us are in a season of disobedience and rebellion and traveling 2,500 miles in the wrong direction. But watch what happens. God got Jonah's attention he sent a great wind, and Jonah said it was because of him. And so they threw him out of the boat, overboard. And the wind stopped. And then in verse 17, the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights, I believe we see Jonah at the lowest in his spiritual life here that we've ever seen him. He was told to go, but instead he went down to Joppa. He was then down in the bottom of the ship, and now he's down in the belly of the whale. I guess you could say he's hit rock bottom because of his disobedience. Because he ran from God and tried to do things his way. Man, I don't know if any of you are guilty, but I have been there. Ignoring, trying not to hear God, doing things my own way. 
Maybe you've been through that and maybe you're in that today. Then in chapter 2, Jonah repents and prays for God to save him. Verse 7, Jonah says, As my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord, and my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. Do you feel like you're you're watching a rerun of your life or parts of your life? We act the same way. Life is going good, and we take God for granted. But when struggles come, when we start to lose hope, and when the waves are crashing in over us, and when we're thrown overboard, we cry out to him for help. Although this is the part of the story that we focus on, the real story here is about an awesome God that is good all the time and shows his great love for us, and he gives us second chances. How many of you feel like you're in need of a second chance today? Maybe you've made some poor decisions or missed opportunities. Our God's in the business of giving second chances. Something else this story tells us is that one person can make a difference. And that one person can be you. God called one man to change an entire city God called Jonah to preach, just as we all are commanded to do. Now, we can't all be preachers. It's hard enough to get time up here as it is. Reverend Shane loves to preach. (laughs) But we are preachers. We're preachers in our towns, in our cities, in our communities, because that's what God has commanded us to do. Mark 16, 15 says, and then he told them, Go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. We are all called to go, friends. Are we doing what God's called us to do? I love the 500 campaign. Uh, That's what it's all about. We're in our community inviting people to hear the good news. As people of God, it's not just enough to come to church and sit in the pews. It's time for us to really be serving God's people. It's time for us to share the love of Jesus because it's too good to keep to ourselves. And hear this, friends. You may share with someone that would never hear from a pastor. They won't have a conversation with them. They may never set foot in a church, but you may share with them what God has done in your life and change their life. The good news is too good to keep to yourself. You have to share it. If you're not a part of the 500, you can do that by going out to the Sync Center and we will be happy to get you some information about that. Would love to have you be a part of that. Let's move on to chapter three. Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. Jonah was given a second chance to do what God asked him to do. You may feel as though you have made past mistakes and that disqualifies you from serving God because of your shortcomings. But serving God is not an earned position. If it was, none of us would qualify But God still uses us, and he equips us to do what he's calling us to do. 
I read an interesting article written by Russell Moore. The title is, The Next Billy Graham Might Be Drunk Right Now. Whenever I start to get discouraged about the future of the church, I remember a conversation I had a few years ago with evangelical theologian Carl Henry on what would turn out to be his last visit to Southern Seminary Seminary before his death. Several of us were lamenting the miserable shape of the church about so many doctrinal, preaching, non-existent discipleship challenges. We asked Dr. Henry, (coughs) excuse me, if he saw any hope in the coming generation of evangelicals. I'll never forget what his reply was. Why, you speak as though Christianity were genetic, he said. Of course there is hope for the next generation of evangelicals, but the leaders of the next generation might not be coming from the current evangelical establishment. They are probably still pagans. Who knew that Saul of Tarsus was to be the great apostle to the Gentiles? Who knew that God would raise up C.S. Lewis, a Charles Colson? They were unbelievers who once saved by the grace of God were mighty warriors for the faith. Of course, the same principle applied to Henry himself. He said, who knew that God would raise up a newspaper man from a nominally Lutheran family to defend the scriptures for generations of conservative evangelicals? The next Jonathan Edwards might be the man driving in front of you with the Darwin fish bumper decal. The next Charles Wesley might be a profanity spewing hip hop artist right now. The next Billy Graham might be passed out drunk in a fraternity house. The next Mother Teresa might be managing an abortion clinic. But the Spirit of God can turn all of that around. So be kind to that atheist in front of you on the highway, the one who just shot you an obscene gesture. (laughs) He might be the one who evangelizes your grandchildren. You know, there's many reasons why God shouldn't call us. But don't worry, we're in good company. Moses stuttered, David's armor didn't fit, Hosea's wife was a prostitute. Amos' only training was in the school of fig tree pruning. Jacob was a liar. David had an affair. Abraham was old. David was young. John was self-righteous. Paul was a murderer, and so was Moses. Miriam was a gossip, Thomas doubted, Jeremiah was depressed and suicidal, Elijah was burned out, John the Baptist was a loudmouth, Martha was a worrywart, and Mary was lazy. (laughs) Noah got drunk, but you know what? God doesn't require a job interview. He doesn't hire and fire like most bosses do. Satan says, you're not worthy. 
Jesus says, you are worthy. Satan looks back and sees our mistakes. But God, God looks back and he sees the cross. Verse 3. This time, Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. And he preached the shortest sermon ever. Verse 4, it says, On the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, Forty days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. And the people repented. If we simply share the good news, we might be surprised at how many people listen to us and respond. I'm going to give you three things that we as Christ followers must do when we're sharing the good news. Number one, to reach lost people, we must preach. It's not enough for them to see Jesus in us. Yes, we want them to know that we're a little bit different. We're not better. We're different. But we must be willing to share Jesus with them. God didn't say to Jonah to go to Nineveh and set a good example. He told him to preach. Author Shane Bishop in his book, That's Good News, says, and I quote, more people are ready to hear a compelling gospel message than there are Christians willing to proclaim it. That is sad, sad. We must not be ashamed of the gospel. Paul says in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. We cannot be ashamed of the good news and we have to get comfortable sharing it. Jonah was the prophet that God used to speak to Nineveh, to the people in Nineveh. And we are the prophets that God wants to use to speak to his people here today. Let me add that he is not looking for flawless, perfect people because they don't exist. He is looking for willing hearts so that he will get the glory Consider yourself a paper boy. Anybody do a paper route when they were younger? Yeah? Yeah? Okay, good. Consider yourself the paper boy or the paper girl. You didn't have to make the news, right? You didn't have to write the news. You had to deliver the news. And that's what God is asking us to do, to deliver the good news. Number two. Our message should be said with urgency. Once Jonah got on board with what God was asking him to do, it says in verse 4, he shouted to the crowds. He was authentic and the people sensed that. And they sensed the urgency of the message that he brought. We too must be authentic and excited about sharing the good news. Mark 13, verse 32 through 33 says, However, no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen. 
Not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father knows. And since you don't know when that time will come, be on guard and stay alert. So our message has to be urgent to the people. Y'all, we're not promised tomorrow. Our message must be clear. It must be a message that even a child can understand. Keep it simple. Don't overcomplicate it. Uh, May times, in times when you're sharing what God has done in your life, maybe that's all they need to hear. Maybe it's just your testimony that they need to hear and follow it with the gospel message as it's stated in John 3.16. You all know it. We're going to say it together. I prefer the King James Version. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. All you got to do is believe and receive it. We need to ask ourselves if we're doing what God has asked of us. While I was writing this sermon, I was flooded with so many memories of my call. And I want to share that with you all today. I remember when God called me, and at first I said, Get behind me, Satan. What are you talking about? (laughs) Because I, too, I am nothing. I am nobody. But I knew that I had to go because I have done so much in my life, my way, not listening to what he asked me to do. And y'all, it just makes you miserable. He will hunt you down. (laughs) So I talked to Reverend Shane, and then I went and talked to our district superintendent, and she said, oh, we've got to get you in licensed local pastor school right away. We've got to get you enrolled in seminary, and really started the process. I had an interview set up for, um, uh, to sit with the Board of Ordained Ministry. And so I began, and whew, What a tough ride it was. We were going through a lot here at Christ Church. We were praying discernment over um, whether we should disaffiliate or not. And my family, my friends, maybe even some of you, said, what are you doing? What are you doing? And I let Satan get in my head. And I bailed. I unenrolled from licensed local pastor school and seminary. I sent an email to the Board of Ordained Ministry and said, "Um, I'm sorry, I'll not be coming to the interview on Saturday. And for the next three days, God planted me face first in my office at home. And I cried like a baby for three days. I was so empty inside. And on the third day, 
I heard God say, I told you to go to Nineveh. And I got up off the floor. I re-enrolled in pastor school and seminary. I sent an email to the Board of Ordained Ministry, and I said, I have made a mistake, and I would like for you to reconsider. And the Board of Ordained Ministry sent back an email, and they said, we don't know what you're talking about. We never received an email saying you weren't going to be here. (laughs) That's how God works, y'all. Being obedient is not easy. And it's not for the faint of heart to be certain. Ministry is hard. There are days I, like Jonah, want to say, I ain't doing it. I'll take boat number two for 300, Alex. And I want to run in the opposite direction. But God has work for me to do. God has work for each of us to do. And we need to be obedient and let him do all the hard lifting. He will equip you. He will put the right people in front of you. Are you being obedient today? Or is God asking you to do something? And because of your disobedience, you're running 2,500 miles in the opposite direction. Y'all, it's time to stop running from God and run to him. How many of you feel like you're in need of a second chance? Have you made some poor decisions? Missed some opportunities? Do you wish you could start over? Do you feel like you're in the belly of the whale? Our God is a God of second, third, and fourth chances, and he will welcome you with open arms. Jonah was disobedient, but when he eventually was obedient, did you see what happened? Revival broke out. What would happen if we all would be obedient? You know, we have 575 plus involved in our 500 campaign to proclaim the message to our city and surrounding area. If you are not a part of that, I challenge you today to become a part of that. Get on board, y'all. Do you know every time that God spoke to a man or woman in the scripture, they had a choice to make? And they could be obedient and follow what God was asking or disobedient and be miserable. The really cool thing is, if you are a child of God, the question is not if he will call on you. It's when and what he's going to call you to do. It may be things that you don't want to do. That things you don't even feel qualified to do but he will equip you to do what he's calling you to do. Stop running in the wrong direction. Get your heart right with God. Turn around and go to Nineveh and start doing what God is calling you to do. We are going to have some prayer partners up front. And first and foremost, if you have not accepted Jesus in your heart, 
If he is not number one in your life, you need to do that. And our prayer partners would love to pray a prayer of salvation with you. If God is touching your heart to get involved or to do something, and you want someone to pray with you for discernment, pray over you, I invite you to come forward. They would love to pray with you. The question is not if, it's when. And I believe today, because you are here, not by circumstance. You are here for a reason, and I believe today is the day. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, Father, we love you. Father, thank you for loving us. Father, thank you that you have work for us to do. Father, your scripture says that you ordained for us even before our birth. And all we have to do, Father, is to say yes and to follow you. And you will equip us to do that. Father, I pray that you will touch your people's heart today and that they will say yes. All these things we pray in the mighty name of your son, Jesus. Amen.